It's quite a winding road that takes you from Marcelo Bielsa at one end to Sam Allardyce at the other. And even though Big Sam is more than happy to tell you that he's right up there with Jurgen Klopp and Pep Guardiola, his CV and any kind of football logic would tell you otherwise. To be frank, even Klopp, Guardiola, Bella Gutman, Renus Mikkels or Bill Shankly might struggle to patch together this broken Leeds United team in order to get a result against Manchester City this weekend. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. My tipping team genuinely is at the top of its game without having to unashamedly tell you so. Starting with Mark O'Hare. Mark, Manchester City regained top spot in the Premier League with a win over West Ham in midweek. They had to work hard, didn't get the first goal of that 3-0 win uh, before the 50th minute. Erling Haaland breaking the single-season scoring record in the Premier League with his 35th goal of the campaign. It's fair to say he'll fancy his chances against Leeds. Yeah, for sure. Um, for being super harsh on Manchester City, I don't think they have been as sort of domineering or controlled, perhaps, as they have been in the last two games. As, as previously, really, against Fulham, I think you can probably understand it, considering it came quite quickly after the Arsenal match, which would have been quite emotionally draining, considering it was the, the game of the season, really. But um, I think Fulham troubled them at times, actually, and frustrated them too, and it took a Julian Alvarez stunner, really, to settle matters. And yeah, in midweek, a uh, West Ham side who... Lost Declan Rice, Aguirre and Suchek to illness on the day of the game. Had to sort of force them into a tactical reshuffle and last-minute plans. And I know they did hit the woodwork twice in the first half, but it wasn't as one-sided as perhaps he expected with those key players missing for West Ham or perhaps as usual as it can be for Man City at home to bottom-half teams as well. They had to be quite professional, quite patient uh, until the openings were presented to them and then obviously they won the game quite comfortably in the end. So, um, yeah, it, it's very difficult to bet against Man City this weekend um, with Leeds in the current state they're in. Four games for Allardyce to sort of change the picture. It's going to be a tough ask. Um, did they panic? Yes. But have they been pushed into this position because of the recent performances and, and results? Possibly so. Um, I think a large portion of the blame has to go to the now sacked director of football, Victor Orta, for some really big blunders behind the scenes and sort of pre-planning. And we've, we've learned already this season that there is no succession planning in Premier League clubs right now. And I think to go from Bielsa to Allardyce in, in 14 months probably tells you everything you need to know about Leeds and, and their forward thinking. So, yeah, it's a desperate last throw of the device. Um, Allardyce doesn't necessarily Which guarantee... device is that that you're throwing? <laughs> Thanks, Kev. Uh, desperate <laughs> last throw of the dice, I should say. I um, see, okay. I just had uh, visions of you throwing a remote control or something <laughs> like that. Right, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, Allardyce doesn't necessarily guarantee survival, does he? Uh, although he has done it in, what was it? Did he do it with uh, Sunderland? He did it with Everton. Uh, there was another one, wasn't there? Did he there keep as well? Palace up? Palace, yeah, yeah. But he's had loads of time to sort of turn the corner with those three clubs previously. In his last job at West Brom, he was brought in before Christmas. They'd won once before his arrival. In his 26 games, they managed four wins. They were relegated three games before the end of the campaign. They uh, completed the fewest passes, had the worst passing accuracy, played the highest percentage of long balls, and conceded the most goals, which is not the best kind of. Uh, 
you know, example. But he's up there with Klopp and Guardiola (laughs) and Saki. I was listening to that yesterday and I was thinking, I wish I had anywhere an ounce of the self-confidence that Sam Allardyce has because what a world to live in when you think you're that great. But uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of an instant impact, he's going to have four games here. Albion, his first four games, picked up one point, scored one goal, conceded 13 goals. So... It's very difficult. And I think Javi Gracia has handed a bit of a a hospital pass. I still think he's a very capable coach for a bottom half Premier League team. But, you know, he's not Jesse Marsh. He's not Marcelo Bielsa. He does something completely different to those two. Uh, And Allardyce does something even more severe, even more pragmatic to to Gracia. So I'm I'm not sure this squad is going to necessarily fit Allardyce and what he's trying to build here. Anyway, we'll wait to see how it plans out. I can't see him making drastic changes in, in just three training sessions before Saturday. Man City are in a in one of those sort of kind of winning machine moods at the minute, and it's very difficult to sort of bet against them. They do have Champions League commitments next midweek, which will take up a, a decent degree of their focus, I imagine. So I assume they're going to come out and try and win this game early on and do something similar to what they did against Leicester, where they blew them off the park for the first 45 minutes and were able to ring the changes at half-time and sort of play out the second half as a bit of a friendly, really. But, um, you know, their, their record at home against bottom-half teams, they've led at half-time in 6 of 8. They've averaged 1.86 goals per game before half-time. they scored twice or more in four of those eight games and led by two goals or more in four of those eight games as well. As I say, they could have easily been ahead against West Ham before half-time had they not hit the woodwork twice. So... You know, if I was building a bet builder here, I'd certainly look at Man City to lead at half-time as well as full-time, over one and a half goals. And I thought Weston McKinney to pick up a a foul here, uh, just add that into the mix. It gets you to 2.25 on the bet builder, which feels very nice. McKinney's made a foul in 11 of 15 appearances for Leeds, including each of his last seven. He's already been carded in six games uh, already since his move to the the Premier League as well. But there is a second wager, or possibly another two wagers really, which will be centred around team news. But if Luke Ayling starts at right back, um, which I assume he probably will do, he feels like, feels like quite, <laughs> quite an ailing, <laughs> ailing player, to, to quite an Allardyce player really. But he's 10 to 3 to commit two or more fouls, um, Wow, which is a big price. He's not a big fouler, but he's committed at least one in, his, in five of his last six. And he's up against Grealish, if Grealish starts, obviously, who draws 2.8 fouls per game on average. 10 to 3 is a very big price. And if you want something slightly shorter, but probably more straightforward, ailing to commit one foul and Man City to win the match is 1.9. Um, that will be my nap, considering ailing and Grealish starts. But um, yeah, there's a couple of bets to, to, to have a little peruse over there for, for Saturday's match. That's a lovely price at 1.9. Because if you look at how they played against West Ham, they mercilessly targeted Soufal for the entire first half. It was just Bernardo Silva and Jack Grealish taking turns to run at him. Uh, and he actually did quite well, Soufal, to be fair. But, you know, that Ben Johnson didn't when he came on. No. no. <laughs> you know, it was a different game by then, but yes, very tough for him. Um, trader, tipster, contender to replace Daniel Craig as 007. Emmett O'Keefe is with us. Uh, Emmett, he plays it down, but he's in the mix. That's what I've been told. Um, Emmett, Leeds have made so many terrible decisions. And you just look at them and think, if he had genuinely excellent defenders, and, you know, guys like Liam Cooper did well against Leicester the other night. He actually played really well. But, you know, we're talking a really high standard here. You might think, okay, he can whip them into shape and do something. But Gracia tried to do that. And the confidence just drained out of them. And whatever the hell happened in that second half against Palace might be the thing that ends up sending them down. 
Yeah, for sure. I I I think it's really interesting. I, maybe it's it's some of the way that kind of football has changed in kind of recent years. Is that there's because the pressing is is so commonplace in European football that there are players now who maybe just aren't comfortable playing in the kind of low block and being in that and defending in that way, and that actually. It's kind of counterintuitive. You think that, oh yeah, if we kind of play a lower block, we play a bit more defensively, we can put less numbers forward and attack, we'll concede less goals. But the reality is, like since 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 Grassi came came to Leeds, they exceeded twenty eight goals in eleven matches, which is by far the worst in that span. And it may be the case that the players that Le- the Leeds have signed for this kind of high pressing system that they're only really able to play that way and, and, and that like that 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 instead of kind of reversing course and kind of changing the style of play maybe that maybe they, they kind of could have gone for kind of a different version of marsh or, or kind of continued yeah. along that style because could have kind of just to try to change ch- change the style of the club or change the philosophy mid-season i think has has gone disastrously badly i think it's probably a good lesson for kind of for cl- clubs in future that that kind of stick to your principles and maybe like try to kind of adjust rather than kind of go for total revolution mid-season because i think i think probably directors and people who work at football clubs think oh yeah it can't get any worse like which is a very dangerous way to think i think i think that's what that's what we've really seen with leeds like a lampard exactly examples exact- over there i mean if you just stuck with potter it might not have been great still, and the fans would have moaned, but let them moan. Well, it, get on with it. Well, that's the thing, is that like the, the underlying numbers under Marsh weren't bad. The results suggested he was getting a bit unlucky based on expected goals. I, I, I wasn't fully convinced by them, but I was like, I felt he was doing maybe a five and a half and a six out of ten job there. I wasn't I wasn't like saying like he needs to go. Similarly with Potter, they were one of the most unlucky teams in terms of bad finishing during Potter's tenure. Like obviously he wasn't doing great, but there were mitigating circumstances. The underlay underlying numbers weren't that bad. And so again, like so again, like so, so there was like maybe you think it can't it can't get any worse, but it always can. Like obviously, like with four games to go, how much can Sam Allardyce do? Probably not that much. I would just say, like because he's such a caricature of a person. I don't know if the listeners might might not be aware of his his podcast called uh, No Tippy Tappy Football, and uh, his and his recent kind of comments. I, I it does take away from. I think that he is. I think like you have to say he is he is quite a good manager like, mo- like most like generally like, how many how many football managers g- genuinely improve most of the teams they go to to, to create their career not that many I would say like if I just I was Sky Sports had a kind of a graphic up this week about his record when he's a, he's appointed mid season in two thousand eight points to Blackburn that they were nineteenth finished fifteenth. At Sunderland in 2015, they were 19th when he took over, finished 17th. 2016 at Blackburn, he took over, they were 17th, ended up finishing 14th. Everest in 2017, 13th when they appointed, ended up finishing 8th. And I know Mark referenced his kind of last spell at West Brom. The only thing I'd say about that is that West Brom team under Slab Village were useless. They were on course to be like the kind of a Derby level team as terms of having like one of the worst, historically bad Premier League team. And he actually got them... To, he got them. He got them from useless to bad, which doesn't sound great, but <laughs> but, but but he he did. I think he did actually improve them a bit. And I actually, so I would give him a little bit of credit for that. So I, I do think 
I do think he's a good man. I do think he's a good manager, even even in twenty twenty three. Like I'm, I think that I think it's hard to say, but I suspect I I doubt under his management Leeds would have conceded twenty eight goals in their last eleven matches. That's that, that's why I I do think I think he he does have the ability to organise teams and at least give them kind of a structure. Well, Bolton, look at Bolton. Yeah, and, you know he he got the best out of a really weird disparate group of players when you had like Akocha was there Jorkaev yeah. Ivan Campo was there yeah. and the rest of us at the time were going what is going on at Bolton but he managed to get them into playing some really decent football I know they were direct but it was effective Ab- and abs- they were competitive absolutely and Rory Smith's kind of recent book on expected goals about the kind of the history of data revolution football has talked about in the mid to late 2000s Bolter were doing a lot of really kind of ahead of its time work and statistics and a lot of the yeah. people who he had on his analytics staff ended up getting hired by bigger clubs the likes of Mike Ford with Chelsea and others so I think I think yeah I think there's there's there, there there's kind of a lot more to Allardyce than kind of meets the eye I would say I and mean, kind of there's a lot more than the kind of the kind of meme and the caricature would suggest however like I think he's just been I, I, like I think obviously the, the, this weekend the Man City game is is is, is obviously an, an impossible task really to get anything out of it but I think like the re- the kind of Tottenham on the last day of the season I think is probably a good opportunity with with the likelihood that Tottenham will have nothing to play for and maybe West Ham also in the, set, in the penultimate game of the season again they may not have nothing to play for so I think there are potentially a couple of easier fixtures than the kind of the that that Dan just in terms of the situation, in terms of the teams they're playing, have nothing to play for. That might kind of set up well. Like Mark said, I think it's. I I I'd be, I was looking at the kind of the Luke Ayling kind of car, cards and, and and kind of fouls betting given he's up against Grealish. But I yeah wouldn't have wouldn't have any 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 kind of strong player. Well, we're making a few changes to our great daily offers here at Betfair. You now have to opt into promotions to enjoy the rewards available on the Sportsbook and Exchange. You can opt in quickly and easily by clicking a promotional banner or going straight to the promotions page and clicking opt in. There's a step-by-step guide on betting.betfair.com. Leeds United seasons had a rather clownish element to it. That's also true of Chelsea, who have fallen off a cliff, quite frankly, since Super Frank Lampard picked the reins back up. They have lost every single game since Lampard arrived, and they visit a Bournemouth side that's in good form and is pretty much safe, level on points with them, would you believe, at this late stage of the season. Emmett Chelsea are 2.18 to win this, which seems completely and utterly divorced from the current reality. Definitely, I, I couldn't. Uh, you couldn't recommend Chelsea for doing any any accumulators this weekend. Um, yeah, it's kind of they're the kind of the kind of the gift that keeps on giving uh, in, in in terms of kind of <laughs> in terms of Schadenfreude for their kind of Premier League fans. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think just the bell I I liked here is a bit more niche, a bit more off the beaten track. It's Thiago Silva to have a shot on target at seven to two. The thinking here is. Bournemouth are the worst defending set pieces in the league by a distance. They conceded twenty. Yes, they, they are awful. They conceded at tw- that. yeah twenty goals from set pieces, which is a huge amount. Second in kind of in in kind of defending set pieces, I think is Nottingham Forest have only conceded around fifteen. And Silva's had two shots on target in his last three matches. He had three shots against Brentford recently, so I think he he's he's cons- and he, throughout his career he's consistently been a been a threat from set play. So him to have a shot on target at seven to two definitely worth a look, and maybe even look at at him. 
him to score any time in the exchange at kind of double figure prices. The way it's going, you might as well stick him up front, quite frankly, because they they don't pose much of a threat apart from that. And you're absolutely right about Bournemouth commentating on their game against West Ham fairly recently. Five minutes in, just allow Mikel Antonio a free header at the near post at a corner. What a perfect way to start the game. Uh, Tottenham. They're not very good, are they? They've crumbled uh, twice at Anfield. Not just once, twice. Uh, once to go 3-0 down inside 15 minutes. Secondly, to lose 4-3 just moments after you found a way to equalise. Uh, they face Crystal Palace, who've turned into 1970s Brazil under Roy Hodgson. Uh, Mark, for all of the issues at Tottenham, this actually is still a much more important game for them than it is for Palace. And Spurs just shy of evens, I think, aren't they? Yeah, not for me. Uh, not wouldn't be back in Tottenham at those prices. Um, don't want to be sort of cliche. Don't want to be. Well, I hate to use the term actually, but I think it was probably conjured up in the first place to probably describe last weekend, which was Spursy, wasn't it? It was um, that that performance at Anfield was was Spursy all over. Um, and I don't want to offend our, our producer Jack, who's a big Spurs fan. But no, do it. <laughs> you can't stop it. <laughs> it was it was quite funny um, from a neutral perspective. I mean, to drag yourself off the canvas at three 0 down when it was threatening to be another nine nil for Liverpool. Um, and then to play so well for, for an hour, Harry Kane dropping deep, pulling strings in that withdrawn role, to then equalise in the celebrations, and then to lose it all 30 seconds later. I mean, I, I did actually laugh out loud because it was just comical, really. But um, yeah, they're, they're back at it against Palace. I think the top four is probably gone. Uh, European qualification on the line. Um, I just wonder whether they'll start to play with a bit more freedom and expression now that the, the immediate pressure is off them. I know it's an important game, but... Yeah, I think realistically they're not going to finish in the Champions League places. But we have seen in the second half against Liverpool and Man United what this team is capable of when they're giving when they're given a, a bit more freedom to kind of go out and play and, and attack teams. Because um, right now they are just a complete liability defensively, and I think it's very difficult to to back them with any sort of confidence. The way in which they are performing at the back, no one is holding the fort at all. Um, you know, they're just letting teams run through them at will. Um, and they're playing a Palace team who scored four against West Ham. It could have been more. They are rampant. They were very exciting, actually. Zaha back in the side, joining Elise and Eze. Really a talented, forward-thinking side. Um, they're safe. They can probably approach this with a little less pressure themselves. Continue to re release those shackles as well. Let those talented forwards flourish. And, um, yeah, for me, it's just a rinse and repeat job, really. Um, Eberetche Eze, who just continues to to pay us out week by week. Um, I'm going to back Eze to have a shot on target. And Jordan Ayew to have a shot again. Uh, it won comfortably last week against West Ham. It was even money. This weekend it's 23 to 20, 2.16 on the bet builder. It's won in all six of Hodgson's games since he returned. Uh, some of those matches it's won very comfortably as well. Uh, in those six games, Palace are averaging 16.5 shots under Hodgson and 5.17 shots on target. And uh, yeah, both Eze and Ayu have been integral to that. Eze's had 16 shots, 10 on target. He scored four goals. Um, he's actually had a shot on target in seven successive Premier League matches now as well. And as we see, he's on penalty duty as well for Palace, which is an added bonus. And, and Ayu, he had two shots in 11 Premier League games before Patrick Vieira's sacking. He since started six games under Hodgson, had a shot in each, 13 in total, scored three goals. So, as I say, this selection has banked in all six under Hodgson. Uh, and they're facing a Tottenham team who do allow an average of 14 shots in the Premier League and 4.79 shots on target. Very high totals for a team chasing not just top four, but even a top six place. So 
There are some actually nice lines on Palace in the shot market if you do fancy the, a team-based approach here. Um, you know, Palace to have four shots on target and, and Eze and Ayu just have a shot is 2.23, but um, we'll stick with the usual play of uh, Eze and Ayu, shot on target and a shot each, which is, uh, yeah, a very nice price, odds against. Our producer Jack did remind me that all he has to do is press the mute button, but I know he's too nice a guy to do that. This football season, get a helping hand with Betfair's popular bet builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. T's and C's in the description. 18 plus. See gambleaware.org. Massive game in Italy as Milan face Lazio. Both are chasing Champions League qualification. So it is a really big encounter, this one. But Milan, of course, have an eye on that forthcoming derby against Inter in the Champions League semi-finals. Emmett, how's this one going to go? Because I watched Milan's game at Roma. I wish I hadn't bothered because it was dreadful. Terrible. However... We had this really weird scenario where Tammy Abraham scores a brilliant goal in stoppage yeah. time, and you think, ah, they've won. And then Milan score at the other end. It's really hard to get a handle on where Milan are actually at right now. Big time, yeah. I, I, I had the displeasure of, 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 of watching that game also. Um, we've seen kind of Milan, as last week, they've kind of really employed some kind of old school, kind of cat Nacho football. I think it's, in Europe it's kind of worked for them. Um, we saw that kind of play, playing away, away at Tottenham and, uh, uh, and against Napoli. But in, in the league, their forms are really inconsistent. They've won win in their last five matches, with Roma being the only good opponent in in that in in that five. They're eleventh in, in in Serie A in points accrued since Christmas, which is obviously not not good given 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 they're defending Serie A champions. Um, they're to be fair to them, their underlying attacking numbers are a bit better than that, with only kind of poor finishing letting them down. Whereas kind of Lazio. Who are kind of at the other end of the XG spectrum? They have Serie A's best defense on paper, but their expected goals conceded have them closer to mid table. They've been on by the numbers incredibly lucky to have conceded how few goals that they have. So, Providell's played quite well. Hasn't he has. I was look, I was looking at the post shot XG for him. He's kind of yeah. He'd be in. He's kind of third or fourth in Serie A in, yeah. in, in, in that matter. So he, he has been very good. But yeah, it's kind of a combination of all the, with those numbers of, of uh, good goalkeeping and good luck. And the so I think the bet I like here is kind of both teams to score at odds against. I'm hoping for some regression to the mean on those numbers I mentioned. But also I just, I like the kind of league table angle here because of Milan realistically, they kind of have to, I think they have to win here to kind of keep pace with top four. I think that me, that means we should get it more of an op, open affair. And I think I think I think it'll suit Lazio to play on the counter attack here as well. Lazio Lazio been excellent away from home in Serie A this season. So I just thought, given given the kind of the angle of kind of the how important this match it is to Milan and how open the game should be, that both both teams to score be probably probably shade of odds on here. So happy to take it at two point one. Nail-biting game in Germany. Hair to Berlin face relegation rival Stuttgart. Hair to the 3.15 outsiders here. Mark, it's a game they really have to win. It's a game I feel they've been targeting since Paul Dardai returned as coach. They were abysmal against Werder Bremen in his first game. But they went to Bayern and I thought they were a bit more competitive last week. So that maybe trends towards something a bit more positive for them here. Yeah, you're right. Massive match. Big six-pointer. Uh, must win, I think, for Hertha. They're six points from survival with just four games to play. Uh, I haven't ruled them out just yet in terms of staying up because they've got this match this weekend. It's a good opportunity for them. I know Stuttgart have been improved under Sebastian Hernes. Eight points from four games. 
recently in the Bundesliga, but they played in the DFB Pokal on Wednesday night, lost 3-2 to Eintracht Frankfurt. It's a very quick turnaround from Wednesday to Saturday to play in a massive six-pointer when you're possibly a little bit bruised, a little bit um, jaded mentally, physically from uh, the excursions of a, a cup semi-final. I think this is a great opportunity for Hertha and it's not just this match either. Bochum still have to come to Berlin as well. So there's two huge games where six points could easily be achieved for Hertha to, to sort of drag themselves back into a position of promise. But uh, even still, they're not guaranteed to survive. But um, yeah, it, it's kind of bordering on must win for both, really. I think Stuttgart should be targeting this as well. Um, the issue I have with both teams, I wouldn't be back in Stuttgart at the prices, particularly after Wednesday night. Um, but uh, Yeah, it's, uh, it's worryingly short. But... Uh, I just can't trust either team because neither side can defend to save their lives, really. So the obvious solution to me here is to back both teams to score. It's a really kind of handsome price, in my opinion, at 1.79. These two teams have collectively played 60 Bundesliga matches. They've managed five clean sheets, two for Stuttgart, three for Hertha. Yeah, I think both have got a reasonable record in front of goal. Both have a reasonable set of forwards. Uh, and I think both will have to see this as a winnable opportunity to try and sort of stave away from what's been a, a really tight relegation battle. Uh, the Bundesliga as a whole is averaging well over 3.1 goals per game. 58% of matches have seen both teams scoring. That would imply average odds of around 1.72 in a blanket game. We're getting 1.79, so already there's a, a nice edge on our side there. Um, and yeah, Hertha have scored nine of their last 11. They've only failed to do so against Leipzig and Bayern. They've scored in all eight at home against teams in eighth and below. They've actually scored twice or more in five of those. And they've seen BTTS in all six games against the bottom five. Nine of their 15 at home against all opponents have seen both teams scoring. That's 60%. Stuttgart have scored in 12 of 15. They've scored in 11 of 15 away. They've scored in 15 of 17 against teams in eighth and below. All eight of their matches against the bottom six have seen both teams score. No Bundesliga side have seen BTTS more often than Stuttgart. 70% overall, 73% away from home. Yet the 1.79 implies just a 56% chance of a payout. So... I think it's a value price here um, because I expect Hertha to score Stuttgart away from home, traditionally defensively awful. And I know Dada is a bit more pragmatic as a head coach, but um, I think Stuttgart have got more than enough in forward areas to to hurt that Hertha defence as well. So I'm just trusting that they're not too dazed by what happened on Wednesday night and can put up a, a bit of a fight here. But a great opportunity for both teams. In sport, what's just as important as the goals, the glory, the roar of the crowd? Yes, it's the half-time break. Time for a breather, a reset to keep everything on track. In sports betting, Betfair's safer gambling tools help you do that too. Like timeouts, so you take that all-important half-time break. Or deposit limits to help you keep count. Manage your play at safergambling.betfair.com. Simple ways to stay on top of your game with Betfair. 18 plus be gamblerware.org. Hang on a second, what's, what's down here? Hang on. It's the Christopher and Kunku <laughs> drum. Boom, boom, boom. Here we go. It's back after months away. We can finally bang that Christopher and Kunku drum because he is back. He's been out with a knee injury that cost him his World Cup place. Then he came back. He came back too quick. Then he got injured. He tore a muscle. Then he was out. And now he's back. So last weekend, scores the only goal of the game against Hoffenheim. Looked really lively, played really well. In midweek was part of a Leipzig team that just eviscerated Freiburg in front of their own fans in the semi-finals of the DFB Pokal. He scored one of uh, four first-half goals that Leipzig scored. I don't see how Freiburg, who play Leipzig again this weekend in the league, suddenly 
work out how to deal with Leipzig's rotations, work out how to deal with their attacking play. And so I think we're going to get this, not a big win like that again, but I think they'll make lots of chances. And I think if Nkunku starts, his price is 17 to 10 on the sports book. And you might even get bigger than that on the exchange if you wait until a bit closer to the game. I think he's definitely worth backing. So Christopher Nkunku to score at any time, 17 to 10. To France, Lens up against Marseille in a game that's actually, would you believe, still part of the title race because PSG are useless uh, and lost at home to Lorient last weekend. So, Emmett, this is actually a really important game because if one of these can get their act together, and I know Marseille are a little bit closer to Paris, they might be able to put a bit of pressure on. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's kind, of the, the, kind of the turmoil of PSG with... Like I, I couldn't believe the thing with Lionel Messi. Lionel Messi being like banned, banned by his own club for for, for two weeks. I mean, he'll miss the next couple of matches. Some of the kind he of tar- sod off to Saudi Arabia. To be fair, I know. I, I just I, I wouldn't I, let you get away with that. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it's not. It's not them banning him so much as just like the kind of. It's just a very strange. Like well, I, I, I don't remember. I can't remember kind of a star player being banned by his own club for just for for not go turning up to training and, and like because again i imagine the premier league would say imagine like erling Haaland was being banned for by city for a couple of weeks in yeah. the kind of in the middle of a title race i feel like it would be an absolute firestorm and i just think i i, I just found it a crazy story and just maybe indicated the kind of lack of communication between messi and the club and i think just it's it kind of it's it, it it's just it just adds the feeling of turmoil around psg like the again oh, it's only allegations but some of the, the accusations leveled against Christian Galtier were extremely ugly and the fact that he's still in charge I think yeah. is, is, isn't I think there's isn't ideal so I think whoever if either team could kind of whoever comes through this match Lons or Marseille I think there's definitely some ingredients there for a PSG collapse I just I, I think this game is perfectly set up for gold because both sides are basically are, are basically nearly guaranteed Champions League qualification Lons are I think are eight points ahead of Monaco. So I think like realistically, I think both teams can kind of go for the win knowing that a, a loss won't hurt them that much. Um, so I, 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 And then Marseille matches in general this season are averaging 2.8 goals per game. Uh, and 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 so like I, I I felt like when I was looking at over two, 2.5 goals here, I, I thought I'd be getting closer to kind of 172. We're getting around 1.9 here, which is more than wow. fair. More than fair. I think, again, it's, it's just a good... I just like the angle. Say, say if this match is one all with twenty minutes to go. I think we'll see both teams really go for it in a, in a way that we wouldn't see it in a kind of a mid-season league match where they'd be happy to, to happy to accept the draw. I think that's. I think. I think it's. Uh, I think this this game is ripe for goals. I think given given the state of the league table and kind of Marseille's general attacking approach. I think Messi's being punished for a variety of reasons by Paris. I think chiefly. The fact that Qatar don't like Saudi Arabia very much. So for him to toddle off to Saudi Arabia to promote them, uh, and he's their toy. He's not Saudi Arabia's toy. So I think he's being punished for that. I think he's also being punished for the fact that he made it quite clear he didn't want to stay, didn't want to activate the extra year in that contract. So I think this is Paris in the guise of being suddenly tough on their superstars. I think actually being a bit, you know, sneaky and punishing him uh, for, for that Saudi Arabia uh, promo op now it's not much of a Martin. punishment though is it what two weeks off yeah no, he's gone to barcelona as well apparently <laughs> so, on full uh, pay presumably so you know. 
there aren't many ways you can really punish Lionel Messi, can you? <laughs> You'll just go, I, I won the World Cup and I'm one of the greatest players of all time. And I've got pots of money. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've got absolutely loads of money. Uh, now, Marco Hare has to do the almost impossible now. He has to reach the level set by Jerry Taylor's Scott Watch last week. So, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. It is Marco Hare's Scott Watch. <laughs> Oh, aye. Escort watch. Take it away. Yeah, very difficult. But uh, we've got a fantastic card on Friday night in the Scottish Championship. Um, not exaggerating, it's going to be a pretty thrilling finale in the second tier. Of the ten teams in the Scottish Championship, only one, mathematically, has nothing to play for on Friday night on the final day of the season. So we've got the title on the line, Queen's Park host Dundee. It's basically a winner-takes-all. Whoever wins will be promoted to the Scottish Premiership. Incredibly exciting. Four sides are battling for two playoff places and the relegation picture is still to be decided as well. So a huge amount to, to look forward to. Uh, I'm focusing on two teams that Jerry actually covered last week, uh, Wraith and Partick. Um, Wraith are the only team with nothing left to play for in the Scottish Championship. And Partick are inside the playoff places right now, but only a win will guarantee their place in the top four and a home uh, draw in the playoffs. Uh, so, yeah, I'm going to back the visitors to win this match in a game involving under four and a half goals for, for an even money shout. Uh, Partick are unbeaten in five. They've won three of those. They've scored 14 goals in that sample. It's just one defeat in 12. And as I say, there's quite a big incentive for them to, to win this game. It's the only way they can be guaranteed of playoff football. They've already beaten Wraith twice in their three meetings this season both quite comfortably actually so they're playing a race team in a, in, a, in a pretty tough place right now um, it's been highlighted in the past couple of weeks about their selection problems they were only able to name two subs last weekend uh, one of which was their reserve, reserve goalkeeper uh, they've lost five of six they've won four of 21 going further back uh, but just three of their overall 35 matches have produced five or more goals so you get the impression Partick will just want to get this job done as quickly as possible uh, and then move on to the playoffs. So that would be the bet, Partick to win and under four and a half goals at evens. In terms of culture corner, Jerry covered Partick quite nicely last week. So I will shine a light on Wraith Rothers, who herald from a town called Kirkcaldy in Fife, which is on the east coast, not too far from Edinburgh. Um, now Wraith isn't actually a, a settlement, it's not actually a place. Uh, the word means fort or fortified in Scottish Gaelic, but it did lead to uh, quite a, an unfortunately uh, unfortunate commentary line, um, one for you here Kev, but um, following a, a win for Wraith in 1960s, uh, BBC commentator Sam Leach suggested that the fans would be dancing in the streets of Wraith tonight, um, <laughs> which has obviously spawned many spin-offs such as uh, Jeff Stelling's uh, They'll Be Dancing oh, in the boy. Streets of Total Network Solutions back in the day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in 1938 they achieved a British scoring record, they scored 142 league goals in just 34 league matches. Uh, they actually conceded 54 that year as well, despite winning the league. So their games that year averaged 5.76 goals. Uh, incredible stuff. Well, uh, there's value for your season ticket, isn't it? Exactly. Wow. Uh, under manager Jimmy Nicholl, they were promoted to the top flight in 1994 and they won their first national trophy that year too, when they beat Celtic on penalties in the League Cup. They gained entry to the UEFA Cup the following season where they reached the second round before losing to eventual champions Bayern Munich. Um, it was the first time
time a Scottish team had qualified for a major European competition while playing outside of the top league. Uh, they lost the first leg 2-0 at Easter Road. In the return, they led 1-0 at half-time before eventually, eventually losing 2-1. But uh, yeah, just crazy to think Wraith Rovers versus Bayern Munich was a European tie. Not that long ago, 1995. Uh, what else? I remember it, which shows how old I am. Wow, OK. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> um, Gordon Brown is a famous fan, as is Coldplay bassist Guy Berryman and Craig Levine. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's your lot. Not not a huge amount of Wraith, but I thought you'd like the commentary line. Love it very much. Yes, that was an excellent return uh, for Marco Hare's Scott Watch. Now it's time for the world-famous podcast treble, a betting feature so revered that the reason Rishi Sunak keeps banging on about everybody doing maths at school is he wants more people who can recommend and work out ACAs for him. People keep talking about how wealthy his wife is, you see. He's trying to work out how he can go past her, and uh, he'll do that by following our trebles. Um, how this works is me, yes, I'm involved this week, sorry, uh, each of the three guys uh, works out a selection ahead of the weekend's action, and delightful traders, just like Emmett, will wrap them up in a boosted treble. And Emmett, I will start with you. Yeah, for the reasons already outlined, I'll go with over two and a half goals in Lons v Marseille. Mark? For the reasons I've already outlined, I will take both teams to score in Hertha Berlin against Stuttgart. Okay, and we'll make it a continental treble. Uh, whether the bosses will like that or not, I don't know, but we're going to do it anyway. Uh, I'll go for Christopher and Kunku. I won't get the drum out again. I've done that already. Uh, but him to score at any time, 17 to 10. Uh, so I think that's a pretty chunky price. That's in Freiburg against RB Leipzig. That's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Loads of other good shows on the Betfair Podcast Network, and we've got loads of good preview coverage as well on our website, betting.betfair.com. Of course, we've got the Sunday show coming up. That's where all the cool kids go after they've listened to the Saturday show. So if you don't want to be a dweeb, go and listen to the other one. Listening to one is fine, but you need to listen to both. So we'll see you there. So from Emmett, from Mark, and from me, it's goodbye for now.